Here in New York, uh, on this day every year, we would be celebrating the memory of a Polish-American hero from the, from the Revolutionary War, Kazimierz Pulaski. And we would have a big parade on Fifth Avenue and a big mass here in the church. We did have a mass this morning at 8 o'clock in Polish, uh, remembering him uh, and, and uh, praying for the people of Poland and the Polish-Americans here in the States, um, and remembering the importance of the relationship that we have had since the revolutionary times with the people of Poland. Uh, but it didn't happen um, because of the coronavirus, obviously. Uh, we were, we've been given some beautiful flowers in commemoration of uh, Pulaski Day. Uh, and this, the flowers on the altar that you see, are, are given in memory of Jersey Jan Piorkowski. And we're very happy that they adorn our church. Also, during this whole month of October, we celebrate uh, Italian Heritage Month and Hispanic Heritage Month. So there are very uh, many reasons to celebrate this month other than the reasons not to celebrate because of the illness. Uh, you'll notice that we are singing a lot of Latin in the, in the masses that we celebrate. And this has been our liturgical uh, plan for many years that during the month of October, uh, the parts of the Mass that we can sing in Latin will be sung by our cantor or by our choir. But because of COVID, we don't have a, a choir for, for the time being. So if, if you hear a lot of Latin, it's through, again, to re, uh, reflect the ancient tradition of our Catholic Church uh, with the Latin language and the beautiful uh, music that uh, developed over the centuries. Today is the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. And he is certainly, if you try to figure out who are the most famous of all the saints that we have as Catholics, he would be very, very high on the list. Uh, some people, because of their own ethnic background, would have somebody else. Um, St. Patrick might be somebody's. But St. Francis of Assisi has a universal attraction. Uh, he, was, he was something brand new, uh, nothing like him ever happened before. He lived, he was born at the end of the 12th century, and he lived at a time when, when the church was uh, supreme all throughout Europe. Uh, it was more important than almost any of the national uh, uh, governments. It had more power, more influence over people's daily lives than any court or any king or any prince or any duke or anybody of authority. Uh, it was a time when the, the church, in some ways, was, had some decadence to it, because once you have so much power, there's a, uh, a tendency to abuse power and to use it not necessarily in the most perfect way. And so it was a time of uh, importance for looking at the, the way the church was run and, and doing something to make it a little bit better, or a lot better. And so here comes this young man, his name was, his name was John, really. Uh, when he was baptized, that's what his mother baptized him as. Uh, later on, his, his father changed the name to Francesco uh, because uh, the mother was a, probably was a French woman and the father had a lot of dealings. He was a cloth merchant. He had a, a lot of dealings with France, so he had a, a love for the French people. So be it as it may, this young man, Francesco, was uh, very 
personally uh, decadent himself. He was a party goer, he was a drinker. Uh, I don't think they had cigarettes in those days, but I'm sure he would have been involved in that if, he, if, he, if they had it. He was someone that was not living up to what we would say would be a Christian, ethical, moral way of living his life. He had no regard for rules and regulations, at least that's the impression that he, he gave. When he was about, about 20, 18, 19, 20, uh, he became a soldier and he was involved in a war between his town and another town. And because he didn't really have much skill as a soldier, he was captured and he was put into a prison for a year. Um, most of the other soldiers that uh, were in this war that were on the wrong side, the losing side, got killed. But because they, the other side recognized his good clothing, his good armor, that, that he had money, um, they said, all right, let's not kill him, let's ransom him. So it took about a year before he was ransomed. And during that year, he was kept in a terrible condition, terrible prison, terrible jail. Um, and he kind of got del delusions and got delirious and um, had visions that were maybe real or maybe uh, just psychological. But during the year, he, he had a, a, like a conversion, getting closer to God, and he thought God was talking to him many, many times. And so when he left, when he was ransomed and he, he left the prison and returned to his home, he was a changed person. He wasn't the same. Uh, he was someone that knew that God wanted him to do something special. And there's a story that says that he went to a, a, a church, a small broken down church called San Damiano in, in Assisi. And while he was there praying, there was a big crucifix um, on, the, uh, on the wall. And he felt that the crucifix was talking to him. Christ was speaking specifically and directly to Francis and saying, I want you to rebuild my church. It's falling down. Now, Francis took that very literally, and he decided that, all right, I'm going to uh, sell some stuff and get some money and, and uh, give it to the priest at San Damiano and, and fix the church up, because that's what God wants me to do. So he took a bolt of uh, uh, cloth from his father. That was his business. And he went to another town. He sold it. And he sold the horse that he was on and, and got a, an amount of money. And so he came back uh, to Assisi and uh, he tried to give the money to the priest at the church, but he wouldn't take it. I'm sure he was afraid because the father was a, an influential person. He was afraid that if he took the money, the father would get, get him in trouble. So he wouldn't accept it. And so Francis or Francesco or Francis at the time uh, was now with this money and wanting to do something good with it and not being able to. And his father, his father heard about this. Father said, wait a second, he took my cloth and he went to this other town and he sold it and got money for it? That's my money. That's, that was his way of thinking. That's my money. It's not his money, it's my money because the cloth was mine, the horse was mine, and now the money is mine. So he dragged Francis, and he tried to drag him in front of the authorities, but he wouldn't go. Finally, he got him to go in front of the bishop. And the bishop at the time uh, saw the very special 
specialness of Francesco, and he said, well, we have to do something for him, and maybe God is saying something through him. So the bishop said to Francis, Francis, you have to give this money to your father. It's his, um, and you should not have taken it yourself. So Francis stands in front of the father and stands in front of the bishop, and he starts to take off his clothes. He starts to take off his clothes. So little by little, he certainly didn't have vestments in those days like we do. He takes off his clothes little by little. He throws them at the feet of his father. And says to the father, you, I called you my father here on earth, but from now on, I'm only going to talk about my father in heaven. I'm almost finished. So he was serious. He was speaking to his father out of his Christian vocation. And he said, this is what you gave me. This is what I'm responsible for. Here it is back. Well, he took off more than I took off. And the bishop, of course, the bishop gets tremendously upset by that thing. He puts his cloak around Francesco and leads him off. and. Uh, brings him somewhere uh, away from his family. And uh, Francis, as far as I know, never went back to his family. And then he began something that was very important in the history of the church. He gathered some friends, he gathered some young men with him, and they said, we are going to dedicate ourselves only to God. We're not going to have money, we're not going to have possessions, we're not going to own property. Uh, we're going to rely on the goodness of other people. And so he formed what we now call the uh, Friars Minor, the little brothers uh, of, of Jesus. And that order has grown and grown and grown since the, 12th century, since the 13th century until now when they're all over the world and they do all sorts of wonderful work um, for the people of the church. But in the beginning, nobody understood that. The church wasn't poor. The church wasn't, didn't feel that it should make itself poor and rely on others. The church had property, the church had money, the church had all sorts of uh, things that kept it in power and, and stood in front of the whole world and said, this is what God is all about. It's about power, it's about influence, it's about authority over other people. Well, Francesco and his brothers uh, tried to change that, and they went and they started in Italy, and they went to all little towns and preached and uh, taught about, uh, about Jesus. And that was their, their very strong basis. They weren't preaching theology. They didn't have fancy words. They, didn't have they weren't instructed in, in the ways of, uh, all, of influencing people and getting them to do what uh, they should do. All they did was talk about Jesus and what Jesus wanted the people to do, what, how Jesus wanted the people to live. One of the things that um, was an invention of Francis was, is the creche that we have at, at Christmas. And part of the, or ma the main reason why he invented that, invented, was that he wanted to emphasize the very, very importance of the humanity of Jesus Christ. 
And that was part and parcel of the foundation of everything that Francis was all about. He lived, he was 40, I think he was 44 years old. He didn't live a long life. And yet, centuries and centuries later, thousands of men and women throughout the world are priests, are sisters, are brothers of St. Francis. And many lay people are followers of St. Francis in their third orders. He did that without any money. He was rich when he was born. He had plenty, of, uh, plenty in his pocket, he could, and he spent a lot of it very freely. But he had nothing after he renounced his clothing and his father and his, his roots and his family. And he said um, that I'm giving myself wholly to Christ, to Jesus. Now, how many centuries later, we're in the 21st, that was the 13th century when he, uh, he did his ministry and he died. We need more people like St. Francis of Assisi. We need more people that will uh, show the world and the church the face of Jesus, the face that says the suffering Christ loves everyone and wants us all to be saved and, and brought to heaven. That's a very simple message. Uh, it isn't very profound. It doesn't need a lot of theology behind it, although there is. It's a message that Francis wanted people to know about. Now, many people think of St. Francis. He's become very popular in the 20th, 21st century. Um, you can go to uh, religious stores, including our own across the street, and get little statues of St. Uh, Francis. Sometimes it's a cute little thing uh, dressed as a child. Um, in many gardens, we have a statue of St. Francis. We have one right here on 51st Street in, in our little garden, and in the back on Madison Avenue, another statue of St. Francis. So people look at him and say, oh, isn't he that special one? He preached to the birds. He took care of a wolf uh, outside the town of Gubbio. Wasn't he kind of like um, an environmental um, hero? Well, he, yes, the way we look at things in the 21st century, yes. But the most important thing about him had nothing to do with the birds or the bees or the, uh, the animals that he was so friendly with nor with the sun and the moon and, and the stars. It all had to do with Christ. It all had to do with Jesus himself. So the famous quotation from him that people say he re really didn't say, but it's a beautiful quotation. He told his brothers, supposedly, um, you must be preaching at all times and sometimes use words. Um, I think that could be good for ourselves. We as followers of Jesus, have to say to ourselves, that's the one that I'm following. I'm not following Saint so-and-so or Bishop so-and-so or Cardinal so-and-so or Mrs. so-and-so or Sister so-and-so. I'm following Jesus. And Jesus is the one that wants me to live a good life, to share my goodness with other people, and to follow him wherever he may take me. That was the message of Saint Francis of Assisi. There'll be a lot of blessings of animals today or during this week, and that's a beautiful thing. Before I came here, I had two churches, and I always had a blessing on, on this day or in the Sunday closest. But most important, if we think about St. Francis, Francis of Assisi, we have to remember him as a true and deep and profound follower of Jesus. And that's what he wanted his message to come out to people, uh, not to talk about himself, 
not to talk about the church, but to talk about Jesus and wanting to have Jesus be not only an icon, but also someone who lived in the hearts and souls of the people that listened to the words that came from Francis's mouth, from his brothers and sisters' mouths over the, over the centuries and touched their heart so that they could live good and holy lives. If we can do that, we'll be so very blessed. If we could truly and actually be the people that St. Francis wanted his people to be like, then we truly will make a difference in the world. As you know, we have so many problems, so, so complicated. The disease is only making things much, much worse than they have been. But the sense of moral degradation, the sense of uh, difficulties that are happening between people, between races, be between nations, um, are all very much part of our, our modern history. What we can do on our own level, on our personal level, is follow what St. Francis wanted us to follow. Jesus as our leader, Jesus as our model, and Jesus as our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.